have so many connections with this church, and it's, I feel like I'm coming home in so many ways. My sister, who's my hero and my best friend in life, is Fran Cade. She goes to this church. Many of you know her. And then I... Yes. <laughs> And then I'm connected to Deborah since before she was born because her mom and dad are friends of ours. They were in seminary in the town where our former church was. And so we've raised our kids together. And it's really, really special. So I have family in this church, and then I have extended family, and so many of you I know. And so thank you for having me. I want to thank Deborah, and I'm so excited about this new addition to your family. Um, and also Tamara. And Cindy, who's managing the books, I so appreciate that. And Kathy, who's led the prayer team, thank you so much. You've had women praying for you for several months, but particularly every day for the last two weeks. Isn't that wonderful? So I'm really grateful to these women. My husband, as just a little bit about us, as Deborah said, he's been rector of the Falls Church. We're a suburb of Washington, D.C. We live in Virginia since 1979. And our five children have grown up there, and so we're sort of Washingtonians, so I was really glad to get out of town at the moment <laughs> to have a little break from all the craziness of the last uh, several weeks in D.C. And then all five of our kids are married, and we have 21 grandchildren, which is a really a little crazy. But um, I wanted to share with you this morning, along the theme of risky faith, and when you say that word, it begs the question, well, why risky faith? And so the genesis of today's topic is really best described in a story. And this happened to me a number of years ago. John and I had been speaking in Africa for a couple of weeks, and we were totally depleted on every level. We were exhausted physically, emotionally, spiritually. We were just done. And we got on that long flight to fly home, you know, and I'm scrunched in the middle seat of a row of five, and I am exhausted, and I can't wait to get home. All of our children at this point were either in college or out of the nest, so we didn't have any at home, but you're a mom no matter what age your kids are, and as I sat there and scrunched in that middle seat, totally depleted, I began to think about one of my children. And the more I thought about this particular child, the more anxious I became as I began to imagine a problem this child might have. And the more I sat there in my exhausted state, the more the problem began to grow in my head. And finally, I was just so frustrated. I thought, okay, Susan, this is crazy. I will just pray. So I began to pray. But the more I prayed, the more the problem grew. Then I thought, that won't work. I'll read my Bible. I got out the Bible, and it just didn't help. It just didn't help. My brain kept going back to this child. So finally, I just sat still, and I cried out to the Lord, just one of those short prayers that he always answers. And I simply said, please help. And two words came to my mind, not audibly, but unmistakably from the Lord. And they were unusual words which really were to change my life. And the two words were these. Remember me. Remember me. And in that moment, what I realized 
was that my issue of the moment, which was a concern about a child, had grown bigger in my head than my view of God. Oh, I knew intellectually God was big, but I wasn't walking in the reality of how big he really was. And that really began a journey of me, a journey for me to try to get to know how big God is. Why is it so hard to trust? We grit our teeth. We try to trust. We all have issues or concerns. And it's so much easier to let our issue, in the midst of trying to trust God, still become bigger than our God. Our issue might be a health concern. It might be a child who's hurting. And we can't do anything about it. Or even more frustrating, we don't know what to do. It might be a job that's in jeopardy. It might be a decision that we're facing and we really don't know how to make it. It might be a troubling relationship that just needs a lot of healing. We try to trust. We try to fix it. You know, as women, we're problem solvers. We're used to fixing things. <laughs> and so we try that on too. And often, it just doesn't go away. And we carry it throughout our day. Our issue has the potential to fill us with fear as it grows and grows in our minds. And I suspect that whatever issue any of us are facing this morning, it can easily become bigger than our God. And sometimes, therefore, walking by faith just plain feels risky, doesn't it? Well, how do we begin to get to know the God who is bigger than we imagine, and who loves each one of us intimately, and who we can trust to handle our issues. This is the journey that I've been on for a number of years that's really culminated in um, a new book called Risky Faith. And I thought what I would like to do is share with you three keys from this book that I have found helpful in my own journey to begin to understand how much bigger God is than the reality I'm living in. And let me first say as we begin that this is not a one, two, three steps, okay, now we get it, because that will never happen this side of heaven. This side of heaven, we are always going to be growing in discovering how big God is. It's a journey that will never be completed this side of heaven. So that sort of lets the pressure out, doesn't it? It's a wonderful journey. Well, three keys. And the first key is to distinguish between natural growth and spiritual growth. Let me define what I mean by that. We grow in our life on two parallel tracks. One is not wrong and one is not right. They are merely different. We grow naturally and regrow spiritually. And it's important to distinguish between the two. For example, in natural growth, we are teaching our children to become independent. We want to raise confident, healthy adults, and that involves teaching them independence. So we teach them how to put on their own shoes, how to make their beds, how to, uh, as they become teenagers, how to make decisions, how to manage a bank account, how to make appointments and keep them. All of our child-raising experience as moms is raising kids who will be independent and confident. 
that's an important part of natural growth becoming independent I can do it myself or I ought to be able to do it myself spiritual growth on the other hand involves becoming more dependent the older we get the more dependent we realize we are on the Lord and I think two words that God loves to hear are I can't I can't Lord I need you so growing spiritually involves becoming dependent whereas growing naturally involves becoming independent and what happens is we apply the tenets of natural growth to spiritual growth and it gets us into trouble and we say to ourselves well I should know better I should be able to handle this I've been in church all my life or I've been in Bible study for 10 years I should be able to trust you God I can do this one I can handle this and then you can teach me something else and we fail and we fall flat on our faces and we feel ashamed and then we crawl back to him and we say I can't Lord I can't and he says yes you can't but I can I want you to be dependent and for us in our natural states that's kind of humiliating because we think we've conquered it and we think we should be able to do it but we can't so there are many other examples but the principle here is to distinguish between natural growth and spiritual growth and don't try to use the means by which we grow naturally to cross over into spiritual growth because they're completely different a second key that helps us in discovering a bigger God is simply to discover a new perspective it's so easy to lose perspective in our life isn't it I had lost total perspective on that airplane I was exhausted and I had lost total perspective have you ever said this to yourself no one knows no one really cares no one understands no one appreciates how hard I'm trying how hard this whatever your this is of the moment is for me no one really understands sometimes we blame our husband because he just doesn't get it usually <laughs> our friend because she doesn't respond in the way I need our boss because he or she doesn't appreciate us our parents or in-laws or children who don't know how hard our it is we have to, have to ask ourselves are we looking to the wrong people in the wrong place to meet our needs perhaps we should be looking to Christ and asking the question where in his life did he experience what I'm going through several years ago I came across a passage that has revolutionized my perspective and given me a whole new framework for discovering a new perspective and there are a couple of verses from the last two chapters of Hebrews 2 and the last two chapters I mean the last two verses of Hebrews 2 and the last two verses of Hebrews 4 so I want to read to you from Hebrews 4 they say essentially the same thing Hebrews 4 14 therefore since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven Jesus the Son of God 
Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every single way that we have, yet without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And the last couple of verses of Hebrews 2 says essentially the same thing. But what I discovered is it rejuvenates my perspective if when I have a hot issue, I run to Jesus and I say, where in your life did you experience what I'm experiencing? Because you alone can really understand. So let me give you a few examples of how this plays out. Are you in the agony of a difficult decision right now? And you sort of think there's one direction you should go, but it's really painful and really hard, and you're just not sure and you don't really want to go there? And you're in turmoil internally, and you wonder, does anyone else understand? Jesus understands. Where in his life was he in the agony of a difficult decision? And you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's about to walk through the next several days with the crucifixion. And he's pouring out his heart to his Heavenly Father, and he says, you know, if there be any other way, will you let me walk in it? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Jesus understands weeping blood, weeping, dripping with sweat, the agony of a difficult decision. We can receive comfort from his time in the garden. Or have you ever been betrayed? Perhaps you've been betrayed by a man. Perhaps you've been betrayed by a child or a close friend. And the pain of betrayal is great. Oh, it hurts. And you wonder, where in Jesus' life could he understand the pain of betrayal? And it doesn't take long to think about Judas, with whom he spent three years loving, training, teaching, who sold him for a sack of coins. It doesn't take long to think of Peter, the one on whom he was going to build his church, who said, I don't even know him, and denied him three times. And yes, Jesus had told Peter this would happen, and Peter, of course, came around, but still, Jesus had the emotional turmoil of watching his best friend betray him three times. Jesus can comfort us when we're betrayed. Or perhaps you're experiencing a severe trial or just constant temptation. Perhaps you're attracted to someone who's not your husband or addicted to alcohol or prescription drugs. There's lots of different trials and trials can extend into what I just simply call a wilderness period, a wilderness experience. And it's exhausting and it's discouraging. And we ask, God, who could understand how hard this wilderness time is for me? 
And he says, I do. After my baptism, I was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where I was tested for 40 days. I understand how incredibly hard a wilderness experience is. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus gets it when we were in a real wilderness experience. Or have you ever felt like a failure as a parent? You know, if you haven't, you're not really being honest. (laughs) Um, I tell all my young friends with children, your ability to ruin your child is not nearly as great as God's power to redeem him. Because we all feel like we've ruined our children at any given point. Your ability to ruin your children is not nearly as great as God's power to redeem them. It's a good thing to remember. But we do feel like failures as parents. And then we look, we feel guilty, and we feel ashamed. And then we go to the life of Jesus and say, where did you feel like a failure as a parent? Where is your prodigal? You weren't married. You didn't have children. And then we think of the 12 apostles. And we think of the brothers arguing over who was going to get to sit next in the highest position in heaven. Sibling rivalry. Leaving the others out. And we think of Judas, who was the ultimate prodigal. And if he didn't get it spending all that time with the Son of God, oh my goodness, that's huge. Jesus understands what it feels like to be a failure with your people. He gets it. Okay, here's a different one that's fun, but it came to me so powerfully one year. As I mentioned, we had five children and We had four weddings in three summers. Our kids kind of all got married young, pretty much right out of college. And we have twins, and the last two weddings were our twin daughters six weeks apart one summer. Crazy. And I remember that summer so well, and I remember at the end of that summer looking forward to Christmas. We'd finished all the wedding stuff, and then it hit me that this Christmas happened to be the Christmas that all of my children were going to be with their in-law families. Okay? I grew up in a very large family. I married into a very large family. I have never, ever been alone on Christmas Eve. It's always had lots of family involvement. And a a gal who I didn't know quite well said to me as I was explaining to her what was going to happen to me, she said, oh, Susan... Don't worry about it. It'll be a wonderful romantic time for you and John. You can curl up by the fire and it'll just be a great couple time. And I thought, oh my goodness, do you know what my husband does? (laughs) I mean, Christmas is not roasting chestnuts by an open fire (laughs) if you're in ministry. (laughs) You know, it's just not. Everybody's life falls apart at Christmas. And if your husband's in ministry, he's cranky because he knows this Christmas Eve and Christmas Day sermon is terrible. So it was not going to be a romantic time for my husband and me. And as it got closer to Christmas Eve, some friends invited me over. They had pity on me, but I felt like, no, I need to walk through this just alone, me and the Lord. And we are a very large church, as you are, and we have multiple services. And I knew my husband would be gone from noon on Christmas Eve until probably one in the morning, and I wouldn't see him. And so I went to one of the services that I was going to, and then I came home, and I sat alone on the couch, lit the Christmas tree, you know, and the candles, had the music on, and there I am just curled up on the couch with my Bible, and I'm thinking, 
Okay, God, this is a hard one for you. But those two passages in Hebrews have convinced me over the years that I will not experience anything that you haven't experienced. The only difference is he is without sin. Where in your life did you experience what I'm feeling in the empty nest? This stinks. And it occurred to me, oh my goodness. We think of Christmas Eve as beautiful Jesus being born in a manger and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and how wonderful it is. But I've never thought of what Christmas was like from God's perspective. On Christmas Eve, God sent his only son with whom he had created the world. In Genesis it says, we created the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We created the world with whom he had been together with for 24-7, forever. He chose to send him to break off that intimate fellowship in a way into the world as God made man to be born, to be spit on, to be disbelieved, to be hated, to be persecuted, and ultimately to be hung on the cross. I was sending my girls off to good things. I was emptying my nest in a good way. God was willing to empty his nest out of his love for you and for me. And he was sending his son to destruction. Destruction wrapped in a big package of love. I have never looked at Christmas Eve quite the same since. Because now I count the cost for God a little bit more in what he did for me in sending Jesus to be born as a man. All because he loved me and he loves you. So let me encourage you to do what the Hebrews 2 and 4 say. To go to Jesus, to go to God and say, where in your life did you experience what I'm experiencing in my emotions? And God will reveal to you the depth of his bigness and an even more magnificent way. And I love the last verse. I want to just read it again of four. It says, Nothing in all. Yeah. Wrong verse. Well, the bottom line is it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of what Jesus has experienced, we can approach the throne not in fear, not in trembling, but with confidence. That's the key word here. So the first two keys, and then a final one. The first one is to distinguish between natural growth and spiritual growth. The second one is to develop a new perspective that looks at the perspective. One way of developing a new perspective is looking at the perspective of Jesus. And thirdly, choose where to focus. In Matthew 6:33 it says turn your basically seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto it. As we want to gain a bigger picture of our great God, we need to focus on him. We need to go to him 
first. We need to be free to ask him our questions. Some of us may even not be sure we have a personal relationship with Christ. And I was this way for many years. Perhaps like you, I grew up in an Episcopal church. My parents were on vestry for as long as I can remember. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. But I always thought that being a Christian was just being a little more good than bad. And that if one day I was just a little more good than bad, when I died I'd get to go to heaven. And for some reason I just didn't quite get that I could never be good enough. And it wasn't until I was in college that I had an opportunity to travel and meet some really sharp other college students. And one of these young men that we met said to me, Susan, are you a Christian? And I thought, that's such an odd question. He was cute. Not, not my husband. He's cuter. But um, <laughs> I just thought that was an interesting question. And I said to him, well, I think I am. I hope I am. I've always believed. And he said, Susan, God doesn't want you to think you are or hope you are. He wants you to know with absolute certainty. And God loves you, and he has a plan for your life. But because of your own sinful, sinfulness, you are separated from God. And Susan, there's only two ways to get to heaven. One is to live a perfectly sinless life. And no one can do that. Only one person has ever done that. And that's Jesus when he walked on earth as God made man. And the second is to accept his sacrifice on the cross. His forgiveness for your sins. He said it's not enough to believe this or even to know it. But we have to have a time when we personally say yes to Jesus. There's a verse in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 that's a picture of Christ standing at the door, meaning the door of our hearts. And it says, Behold or look, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man open the door, I will come into him and fellowship with him and he with me. And my young friend said, Susan, have you ever opened the door to your life and personally asked Christ to be your Savior? And I realized at this point that I had not. I realized that for me, I had been living on an inherited faith. The faith of my parents and grandparents and church. But it was not yet a personal faith. And God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And I had to come to the place where I personally accepted Jesus Christ for me. And so my young friend asked, he said, Susan, would you like to pray and ask Christ to come into your life? And I said, yes, I want to do that, but I don't feel comfortable praying. So you do it, and I'll do it quietly. And so that's what he, we did. He prayed the prayer for me, and I asked Christ to come into my life. Now, for me, it wasn't an emotional experience. It is for many people, but we're all made different. And the beauty of God is, is that he meets each of us in our own uniqueness. For me, it was a very clear step of moving from an inherited faith to a personal faith. And knowing for the first time that I could say with confidence, I know I am a believer. I know I am a Christian. Because when we ask Christ to come into our life, he promises he will. And he also promises he will forgive all of our sins. And he also promises that he will continue to forgive our sins. And he also promises that he will never, ever leave us. Hebrews 13.5 I will never forsake you, nor will I ever leave you. 
So as we begin to focus on him, we need to begin that with the assurance that he's in our life. The assurance that he's in our life. And I want to leave you with one final story. One of the things that's helped me in my continuing journey to know how big God is occurred one morning when I was getting up before I even got out of bed. I realized that before I even got out of bed, I was feeling a little discouraged about my day. For no reason, I just felt flat about my day. And I knew that wasn't right. Um, for In his presence is fullness of joy, is what it says in the Psalms. And so I determined, based on a verse in John 14, 26, which says that one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to remind you, to remind you of all that he has taught us. So we in the South in particular, and if we've been in, spent any time in churches, have grown up with the Word of God coming into our lives, even when we were unaware. God's been working in our life. And so I decided, okay, God, based on that verse, I'm going to ask your Holy Spirit to remind me of one character trait of yours that I'm going to walk on today. And I remember one of the first times I did this, the word to me, I had been reading Ephesians for some reason, and the word to me came from Ephesians 1.8, and the word is lavishes. He lavishes his grace. He lavishes. We tend to think that God kind of just parcels out his love very carefully. No. He's a God who lavishes his grace upon us. So that day I walked on the character trait of God, lavish. He's a God who lavishes. And so I've been doing this for a number of years now. And it has developed into a book called The One Devotional. Where there's one word, one verse and one thought for 100 days. And I would just encourage you to begin this practice in your life. It has really changed my life. And what it has done is it's caused me to focus more and more, as it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're to be about the renewing of our minds. And I need that character trait of God to begin to renew my mind. And it's been a marvelous journey. And I'm still on it, and I'll be on it forever. But it's been a great way to begin to focus on how great God is. Well, those are three keys. Um, I would love to close just in a prayer for us. Father, thank you for these women. Lord, thank you for simply another word that comes to my mind this morning, that you know us. Father, you have searched me and known me, it says in Psalm 139. You know when I rise, you know when I sit. Before there is a word on my lips, you know it. Lord, it can be intimidating to feel known, but when that being known is wrapped in unconditional love, and acceptance, it's freedom. So, Father, on behalf of all of us this morning, I thank you that you know me. You know me. What a relief. And as we just remain silent for a few minutes, I'm going to pray a prayer that I prayed with that young man who shared with me about Christ many years ago 
And if you're here this morning and you're not sure that you have ever asked Christ to come into your life, I would like to invite you to follow along privately in your own heart, making my words your words as you ask Jesus into your heart. Dear Jesus, I need you. I open the door of my heart and ask you to come in. Thank you for forgiving all of my sins. Even that one I can barely mention, you have forgiven that and washed it away. Thank you that you have promised that you will never leave me. Thank you that at this moment I can know that one day I'll be in heaven with you not because of my goodness but because I am forgiven. Oh, Father, how great Thou art. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have time for questions or not? Okay. Um, We have about five minutes. If anybody has a question um, that you would like to ask, um, I'm happy to answer any questions about anything. And if I don't know the answer, I'll get Deborah up here. So if any of you have questions, or if not, feel free to come up to me. I'll be hanging around. Have you got one? Okay. Um, Humor me. How in the world did you pull off two weddings in six weeks? Okay. That's so funny. Okay. The question is, how in the world did I pull off two weddings in six weeks? Well, fortunately, it wasn't my first two. It was my 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 fourth and fifth weddings. But I do remember... The one thing I will leave with you on this, it was crazy. I didn't pull it off very well and I made lots of mistakes. But the phrase that I put on my refrigerator was this. And I did this for each of the weddings. Susan, remember, you are not primarily planning an event. You are building a family. And relationships are more important than details. And that's what got me through (laughs) <laughs> good question. Thank you, Catherine. That's a good question. Uh, anybody else have a question? Oh, I'm sorry. Did I get you? Well, let's, um, I know we'll, we'll have a little bit more here. I'll step right yeah. in front. In, yeah. But will you stay right here? Sure. We'll pray for you. Yeah. Um, I know we'll ha- we're going to have a few more minutes before we're officially done at 1 o'clock. And I want to encourage you a couple different things we have available right now, uh, which essentially you could buy one or both of the books that um, Susan has written in the last year, Risky Faith, and then also the One Devotional. Um, those are off for sale in the back. You can go see Cindy right back there um, on the way to the refectory. And if you'd like to have your book signed, Susan will get, will get her over there and you can she'll sign your book for you. 
Another thing too is if you are interested in a small group looking at this idea of risky faith and some of the things that Susan talked about in her talk this morning, um, there are a couple of groups that might be looking at this book as a small group, reading through it, answering some of the questions together. And this is a great opportunity um, both to plug in in terms of going deeper spiritually with the Lord, but also in terms of plugging in um, to the church and getting to know other women who might be your age or might be a different age. It's a great way to um, really deepen the bonds of affection here. So um, if you're interested in that, Fontaine Pope, who, can you raise your hand, Fontaine? Yeah, there's, she, Fontaine's right there in the back by the chapter room. She'll be available um, and she'll, have, she'll love to get your name and number if you're interested in a small group. One final thing is that Susan also has a wonderful blog. Um, and so if you'd like to get her blog and be able to listen to some of her or read some of her meditations and thoughts on a regular basis, you can also sign up for that at the book table back by the refectory. Uh, now, one of my favorite things to do is to pray for our speakers um, after we've gotten to hear from them. What a blessing Susan has been to us this morning. Uh, will you join me in blessing her in return in praying for her? Lord God, we thank you and praise you for your servant Susan. We thank you, Lord, for her honesty. We thank you, Lord, for her faith and for the way even you've tested her faith in so many ways throughout the years. And we see that as a gift, not just for her and for her family, but also as a gift for us, um, for the body of Christ, that you've uh, tested her in such a way that um, she can bear witness and um, bear testimony to who you are and your great love for us. And so we thank you indeed, Lord, for that testimony of, I can't. <laughs> and we stand before you once again, and we say, each one of us, I can't. And yet we trust in your great goodness and your great love for us and your grace and mercy extended to us in Jesus Christ. And so we ask now, as we all go out from here, as Susan goes to get on a plane to get back to Raleigh, North Carolina, as we go our way separately, we ask, Lord, that you um, would bind us together, indeed, in a deep way, in you, through our faith in you, that risky faith that you give us. We ask, too, Lord, that you would send us forth with great joy, um, knowing that we've been in your company even as we've been in each other's company as well. So send us out, Lord, with joy, rejoicing, um, with a deep abiding confidence in your love for us and with strength for whatever we go out to face when we leave here. So we lift this up to you and we ask it in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.